Hello and welcome to episode 109 of the Mark and Me podcast. As always, I'm your host Mark. Joining me on today's episode is an absolutely incredible actor and an amazing person. I'm joined by Richard Brake. This guy is outstanding. I think I first remember seeing him in Batman Begins, but since then I've seen him work with the amazing Rob Zombie in stuff like Halloween 2, Free From Hell, 31. He's in films like Mandy, and obviously within TV work, you'll always know the guy from Game of Thrones. He's an absolute legend, and I can't wait for you to hear the interview. He's so, so good, and I love it from start to finish. But in true typical Mark and Me fashion, and you do know the score by now, I like to touch base and talk about the last episode. I was joined by the artist Andy Fairhurst, and this was the fourth part of my Voice Behind the Artist specials. I didn't expect these to do so well, and it's been amazing, and I love offering my platform for these guys to get heard and promote their work. And to see the response on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram to Andy's work is absolutely amazing. And I'm pleased to say that in a couple of episodes' time, I'm going to be joined by a fifth artist to continue these specials, because honestly, the response has been absolutely amazing. But let's get back into today's episode. As I said at the start, I'm joined by Richard Brake, one of the best British actors out there, a lovely guy, and honestly, the interview's absolutely awesome from start to finish. So I think we should get straight to it now. So here's me and Richard talking all things film. So Richard, thanks for joining me today on the Mark and Me podcast. Thanks. Great to be here. Thank you for having me on. What I want to do for the listener that's uh, tuning in right now is take it right back to the very start. And when you were growing up, I want to know what was your kind of favourite films that made you fall in love with film? Good question. One I haven't been asked. I thought I'd been asked enough questions. <laughs> <laughs> ah, um, well, i tell you what popped into mind right away was uh, James Bond. I was a huge, um, when I was, I think one of the things, what I fell in love with, I fell in love with film, but I fell in love with characters. Like I used to, I think, um, I'm not surprised that I ended up being an actor because when I look back, when I was a kid, I I always pretended to be somebody else. But I know everybody does that, right? Every kid goes off and pretends to be Batman, or I was James Bond a lot. um, Or I would, you know, whoever I would be, I'd be the $6 million man for a while. But in, but, Instead of like most people go out in the garden and pretend to play Batman, and then they come in and they're you know a little Bobby again while they're eating their their dinner. But I was I would be Batman or James Bond or or, or Lee Majors, whoever you know, whoever I'd be, Six Million Dollar Man. I'd be them all the time. I was eating dinner while I was going to bed when I woke up. Like in my mind, I was constantly pretending to be the other people, like constantly be the other people. Um, so. Uh, I think that the one that re- really always kept coming back was um, was James Bond. I love James Bond films. My dad turned it on, on me onto them when I was like, I think the first one I saw was uh, wasn't a Sean Connery one. I wish, but it was uh, Roger Moore when he did uh, Live and Let Die. I think that yeah. was seventy two, and I was about six or seven, and uh, my dad took me to see that. I mean, I was pretty young to be, <laughs> but. Uh, so that would be, I, I can remember that. So that when I'm very young, that. And then after that, of course, I started just getting into all kinds of films. I got older. And, uh, yeah, I, I mean, I, I just love, love filmmaking. But I love characters in films. And I love, I love acting. I love, and that's what really turns me on, too. 
So when you're this young and you're watching stuff like James Bond and stuff, obviously at that point, you're not really thinking to yourself, oh, I hope I can become an actor because you, you just, you know, at that age, you don't know what you want to do. No one does. No, I wanted to be, well, I wanted to be a spy and that yeah. some days and then I wanted to be a superhero. So yeah, I, I want, uh, you know, or, and it's funny, I, I, or I want to be like, uh, um, uh, or what, you know, doc, doc, whatever, doctor, whatever it would be. Like, and I, at one time, I actually, many, many years ago, um, I took a little respite from acting for a few years, like this is going back like 20, 25 years ago. And I was doing a furniture. So, and I owned a bunch of furniture stores and I was you know, selling furniture and I was helping people design their houses. Now I, I literally lived in an apartment in LA at the time that had a bed and that's about it. Right. And some, and, 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 uh, and the sofa while I was selling, I'm going to people's houses in Beverly Hills saying, you should do this. You should do that. You should, like pretending like I knew everything in the world about how to design a house. And I mean, it was brilliant. Like I was selling loads of it and they, they would say to me, you must have the most amazing home. I go, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and I had like literally a bed and a couch and you know, I was putting all my money in this business. And, and, uh, but I realized after a couple of years of doing it, that what I, I enjoyed pretending to be this character of the, yeah. after about a year or two of it, I, I dreaded it. Like I hated it. I ended up getting out of that business very quickly and going straight back into acting. And it's been brilliant ever since. But you know, what I wanted to be was someone pretending to be something else, which is exactly what a, you know, an actor gets to do. So I love being lots of different things. So as you know, as a kid, I just wanted to be all, all these things, but I only want to be them for about six weeks. That's perfect. Yeah. Two months. Perfect. <laughs> then I'm done. I'll be a brain surgeon for two months. Amazing. <laughs> And can you remember kind of when it became a reality in those first auditions that you were going to when you started to get a call back and then inviting you like, oh, this is awesome. This is actually happening. Um, yeah, I think, I mean, you know, I remember my first jobs coming out when I got to drama school. But yeah, it's such hard graft when you're young. You know, some guys are so lucky and young women are lucky. They'll come out of drama school and they'll just make it onto a TV series or... You know, they'll be doing the West End play right away. And, 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 you know, great for them. But I think one of the things, and I think I'm a testament to, as is my very close friend, Eddie Marsden, because we both went to the same drama school and we've stayed friends ever since. But those first 10 years out of school were, were tough. I mean, we did. But the one thing we kept doing was anything we could get our hands on. So we would do, both of us, we've seen each other in so many, or did see each other in so many plays and, you know, the hen and chickens and, in Islington with eight other people watching, you know, and it was just like, we would do everything. You make no money. You have to graft to make your cash somewhere else and just kept trying to stay in and, and get better at our profession and get better as an actor. Um, so for me, a lot of it, those first 10 years or so were spent a lot of time just doing things that hardly anyone ever saw. I think one of the first big things I did was a movie called death machine. And I remember, which, you know, it's still a low-budget uh, British horror film shot in 94, I think. Um, but had Brad Dorif, great, great actor. And um, working with him, and I had a, a lovely part, and it was a really interesting director, Stephen Norrington. And doing that, and even going to the audition, the second audition, and auditioning with Stephen and thinking, I got this. I mean, that was a real thrill. I was like, you know, I can do this. You know, and working with Brad Dorif and thinking, you know, I'm, I'm able to hold my own here. You know, I was 27 or eight, I think. Yeah. You know, then I thought, I think I can do this. And uh, obviously it has his ups and downs, but that's, you know, it's been, it's been a, it's been a fun ride. But yeah. 
One of the first times I saw you was on um, Scream when I went to see Batman Begins. Um, yeah. I'm sure you talk a lot about this in your career, but um, getting to work with Christopher Nolan is something that just must blow your mind because I think right now he's probably one of the best filmmakers in the whole, on the yeah. whole, really. And to yeah. be there at the start of this Batman trilogy and now he's doing stuff like Tenet. What was it like working for such an absolute genius? Well, you know what's so good? kind of fun about having worked on one of his first big films, right? You know, because he'd done uh, Memento and Insomnia prior to that. Um, and then his own, you know, film following that he did as a young man. But is that you, you know, he wasn't the man you think, you know, Chris went on. So you, you can, you look back and go, yeah, oh yeah, I knew he's, you know, but at the time I really, you could tell that he had incredible level of confidence in his ability. And what I think always struck me, and what I'll never forget is, I know my first day was shooting the courtroom scene where you know I had this little speech and Christian Bale's there, and this you know big set, and this film has been running for I think I've been shooting for about a month or two prior to that, maybe a month. Um, and watching him, how calm he was, you know, there he is. This is a film for like three hundred million pounds, whatever they were, you know, the budget was. He just looked incredibly assured, incredibly calm. He knew exactly what he wanted. Um, and I thought, yeah, this, this, some, this guy's got something. It's amazing. I mean, he was young. He was probably, yeah. I mean, he's, you know, was in his early 30s at that time. Yeah, yeah, like, he yeah. looked like a guy, you know, who'd made, made you know, 100 films. I mean, just incredibly assured. So it's no surprise, you know. And it was great, too. You knew that was a special film. Yeah, you know, I'd been a huge Batman fan as a kid, like I said, and so it was a real, it was just a thrill and, and an honor to play Joe Chill, the man who kind of made Batman, right? Um, but what was very cool was uh, was how you could feel it was going to a much different place with 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 um, uh, superhero films, if you want to call them that. Yeah, you know, as opposed because to me they were all a bit too cartoony. You know, I was just a bit. You know, they look like people in rubber suits, and I was never a big fan. Of, of no. You know, I, I don't mind Tim Burton's. I mean, they were as good as you could do in that day and age. But to me, it was like this. You could just feel it was real. And then Christian Bale, you could see he was like, you know, he barely would speak to me because obviously I killed his parents. So he was a character most of the time. He's like, you know, he was an actor, like real serious, taking this role really seriously. And you knew something special was happening. So, and I, yeah, I personally think that's rejuvenated too. the whole, that was the beginning of this whole renaissance of, superhero films whatever you want whatever the official expression is for them you know because they became real you know yeah so i was great to be a part of that it's just incredible i'm incredibly lucky i got to to be a part of that and one of the most underrated films i believe out there is munich um i think Spielberg mm. is known for stuff like obviously et and all the classics but people don't give it's it a great the- film isn't it oh yeah like one yeah, of his best- great films yeah, you know, you're in the pub and you're having a pint, and I was like, "What's your favorite Spielberg films?" And every single time, it's you know, "Oh, I love this, I love that, Jurassic Park, and all this." But people yeah. don't give enough credit to the look, and you wouldn't think it's a film by Spielberg. Now, to go and know that you've been involved in that as well, my God, that must have just been surely one of your career highlights, just to be involved in such a beautiful. Film. Oh yeah, you no, know, you get to say, you know, I think that summer I was a great, it was a fun summer. I worked with Brian De Palma. Um, yeah. at the beginning of the summer and then Steven Spielberg at the end of the summer. So I was <laughs> like, yeah. you know, I was like, a, a, you know, especially some of my age, it was like a you know, dream come true. And these two are 
to her icons. Um, but obviously, just wanting, just being on set with Steven Spielberg, so it was a trip. You know, just sitting there, you're talking to him. You know, because I'm from, uh, or I'm from Wales, like I said. But uh, originally, um, I grew up in a place called North Carolina, and he had filmed Color of uh, Color Purple, right? Is yeah. it Color Purple? Yeah. Um, there, and he was talking. We're, you know, I'm sitting there talking to Steven Spielberg about North Carolina. And I'm thinking. It's bizarre, Steven Spielberg, and then and talk about a guy who now he is assured. Watching him on set's it's a phenomenal experience because he, you know, he obviously does have not hundred films behind it, but unlike Christopher Nolan, he's got vast yeah. experience by the time he done Munich even, and the way his mind works is unlike any director I've ever seen. I mean, he because with that scene that I'm in is pretty much one shot, you know, yeah. it's like one rip. So he, you know, he had it all in his mind. He was incredibly calm. It was just watching in between takes. He would just sit and listen to things and chat with people. And then it was, and you, you just, the complexity of that particular setup and that shot, you know, it was just it's like another day. And he just knew it all. He looks, it was incredible to watch him. He's like on another plane. His brain works filmmaking wise. I'm unlike yeah. anyone's I've ever seen. Um, but I was terrified. I mean, quick funny story. I don't use up all the time on on, on on this. But I mean, I would obviously it was like here's Spielberg. I'm kind of I'm I'm shitting myself a bit. Yeah. And uh, all I had, I think I have one or two lines at the end of this long take that goes past. You know, there's um, Kieran Hines and uh, I forget. You know, there's loads of these actors and they're all in the shot and it kind of travels around and then it kind of ends on me at one point. And I have to say something, and then you know it does. You know it does its five-minute travel. And the camera comes, lands on me, and I and I kind of do my line. And Spielberg comes up to me, and he's like, oh, "That's all right, but maybe a little less drunk, a little less drunk." I'm like, "Oh my god, I screwed up!" So I'm like, at that point, you know, I felt like like the ground had opened up. I'm like, so okay, do it again. Okay, it was set up. You know, it's like ten minutes to set it up. I honestly, and I thought I, I've forgotten how to act. I felt like a postman who'd won a contest to be in a Steven Spielberg film. <laughs> I was suddenly like, I didn't know. I thought, oh, I, I, at that point, I just had to go, please, if there's a higher power, just help me. Just, just let me do it well. And then I just let go. And the camera comes around, boom, hit me. It was fine. He was happy. It was good. I was like, okay. <laughs> but that I moment know. between, yeah. before he shows action the second time, I can yeah. tell you, that was one of the most scary moments of my uh, my 30 odd years yeah and i see a lot of your fans on instagram and social media they have an obsession with rob zombie films like you people don't just either like a rob zombie film you either hate him and don't think he should ever remake any films or they absolutely love everything he touches now you've obviously worked with him a number of times and it, you must be a huge fan because he seems to keep inviting you back and getting involved in films and what's it mm. what's it like to work with someone that is still kind of making the name for himself even though he's got some big releases and even work with stuff like john carpenter's material he's still kind of grafting away and trying to establish himself at this time isn't he yeah i mean i guess in terms of mainstream definitely yeah. um i mean i love it. his fans are and they're incredible i get to meet a lot of them when i'm out and doing comic yeah. horror cons in particular um you know i've met and people on the street you know um I mean, the, he he really has an incredible fan base of people that I I gotta say I you know I've grown really to really really dig. But um, I I I mean, 
I honestly will say, you know, I've worked with Spielberg, I've worked with all these great directors, but my absolute favorite director to work with is Rob Zombie. People are like, what? And I'm like, absolutely. He is an incredibly creative man. Yeah. Um, just, you know, I know to, to, you know, to many to people sort of in more into, into kind of normal thing, normal stuff or more mainstream things, they may not know him or they don't know his work as much, but he, he's just like this font of creativity, just constantly spewing it out. But what I think I dig most of all about him is um, he's incredibly inspiring to people who work with him. Like gives you great freedom, but really just is in like an inspiration. And you, the vibe on his sets are unlike any sets that I work on. Even people who are there as runners or you know in their first job as a PA are all just like trying their best to do the very best they can to kind of help Rob make this film and, and feel very inspired. And that kind of feeling, that's why I keep going back. I mean, yeah. I mean, he gives me great roles. You know, I love the roles that he gives me. They're, you know, they're incredibly fun. And all of those reasons, you know, you would go back anyway. But that's not really what excites me as much as I'd go back if he gave me a couple lines because I just yeah. want to dig that vibe. Um, he is my, you know, he's my, when people say, who's your favorite director to work with? They're all expecting, I'll say, you know, one of these great names. And they're all been brilliant. I've loved, obviously, they're incredible to work with for different reasons. Um, you know, I did Anthony Mangala, amazing man, but zombie, like Rob's just, you know, he's, he's just a complete, complete joy to, joy to work yeah. with. And he writes great music as well. And seeing his live, yeah. show, I went to download last year and he just blew everyone else out the wall. Oh, he did. So, you know, so you, you know, his stuff, you, so you're in the music. Yeah. Cause his music, his shows are amazing. I wanted to go to down. I wish I had gone. I should have. I forget why I didn't have a car then getting there. Yeah. It's kind of because Rob texted me. He's like, oh, I'm doing download tomorrow night if you want to you know, come up. I was like, oh, and I couldn't to get there. It was like, I had to like somehow get to fly to some place. And then I was like, I'm just not going to be able to do yeah. it. I don't think, man. Not in 20. But now I have a car and I've driven up because I, I would, he's a live concert. It's, it's unbelievable. Blast. Absolutely yeah. incredible. It's not even if you don't yeah. have music, you can just go there and enjoy the yeah. show. It's just like a, it's like a theater experience. It's amazing. Yeah, and you know what's so great about him? Uh, you know, to go, but I have to say this, again, it's inspiring. I think for people, it's that he, you know, a, a lot of people. He was very successful. I guess in the late nineties, had you know, yeah. I mean, we all know those hits, and so many people just kind of fade, you know, fade out. You know, a lot of um, musicians or, or artists can fade out as they get older and. And I think Robbie's just getting stronger and stronger and stronger. Show, and you know, he still brings huge crowds in the states. He sells out every yeah. summer these massive places. And I think that's a testament to his a professionalism. Because you know, he, on the on the surface, you'd think, oh, he's crazy rock star. He's probably snorting and drinking, and you know, yeah. he's so like nice and vegan. He's very professional. His sets are professional. His work ethic is professional. You know, and ultimately, I use him as an example to my own kids. They're both budding young yeah. artists, and I'm like. You know, that's the way to behave. That way you can be 50, you know, he's about my age, 54, 55, and be, you know, still creating great work and even better work every time, you know, comes yeah. out. Um, I agree, every time I And, have, and fill stadiums, that, you know, yeah. not be playing a bar, you know, with, you know, you used to play stadiums, now you're lucky to fill a bar, you know, that's, yeah. to me, you know, just a, just a wonderful, wonderful example of how to, how to behave in this biz. And some of the listeners will absolutely crucify me if I don't talk about Game of Thrones. Um, I, you know, my, my Facebook and Twitter for the last few years was just Game of Thrones, and I had to end up mm. watching it at night because I didn't want people to spoil it the next day. 
I got to the point where, you know, people were just going out there and ruining it by posting pictures and stuff. But to play the Night King and be involved in probably the biggest TV we've had in 20 years, I'd say. Yeah, you know, since stuff like Sopranos right. and Breaking Bad, it's the show that everyone on, you know, would go to work the next day and be like, all they'd say is, did you watch it last night? It didn't matter what it was. You knew that if they could <laughs> yeah. you, did you watch it? They were talking about Game of Thrones and the scale and the size of everything involved with that. I mean, you must have been going on to set and the makeup alone and the production and the, the budget and just the scale. It must have been, well, you're probably never going to work on anything like that again. Yeah, no, I mean, you know, and especially now that you, even a lot of big, big budget films don't feel like that. I mean, there was so much money in that film. Yeah. Um, in that show. I mean, every episode. We did Hard Home, that episode, um, you know, where I raised the dead at the end of yeah. everything. And, and that, I think, had three weeks worth of rehearsals prior. That scene, that 20 minute um, segment, um, had something like three weeks of rehearsal prior to shooting and then shot for a couple of weeks at least. Um, you know, that's unheard of in, in television. And the budget on that alone was just was crazy. Yeah, I'm, I'm just incredibly grateful I got to be a part of the show. Uh, it's because I think for the reasons you said, you know, I mean, I would say not even the last 20 years. I mean, definitely Soprano is very important and Bacon Bad is one of my favorites. But what I think it did more than any show's ever done is it created this kind of, um, it, it was almost like a catharsis for so many people, like theater is, you know, like back in Greek, in, and supposedly in the old days, the Greeks, made their citizens go to the theater because they knew how important it was. They had experience, the cathartic experience of yeah. seeing like these major human emotions and events like incest, death, all these huge things were then put into Game of Thrones. And people had that same experience with that show. You know, they would often watch it together. You know, some people come up to me and say, oh, my family got together every Sunday night or every, you know, we went to parties every Saturday, uh, Monday night if they're over here, you know, yeah. it's, so it's this, and the communal experience of that, or they went to the work the next day, like you said, you know, I think it was, un, you know, nothing's been like that um, yet uh, uh, up to this point. You know, that was the first television thing that really created that feeling. So it was wonderful to be a part of that, really. I was very, very, I'm very, very lucky and very honored. And what, what was the actual, like, time really, really? Because people say it, but how long did it actually take to be in makeup and get all made up? Six hours. Fucking hell. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And two hours to take it off. Oh yeah, man. Was, yeah. So I would sleep like three hours a night. You know, yeah, I couldn't I had to I had to uh I'd fake teeth. Um couldn't really eat a lot. Um had big fingernails that were massive, so I couldn't really do anything. Like and and if I had to go to the loo, they would have to literally shut the production down, you know. So I would have to moderate my eating because I didn't want to like have to take a crap in the middle uh, of the day and have the entire yeah. 500 extras waiting for me to come out of the porta potty, you know. So I was yeah. like, so it was, it was, it was to me the experience as much as anything was one of a kind of it was like a physical ordeal, you yeah. know. Every night I sleep three hours a night. I, my my eating everything was completely like I had to almost prepare myself every time I was going to play and to just be like physically in the right space and do it. But it was you know again it was. It was worth it. But the worst part was the contact lenses. The huge, yeah. you can't put anything bigger in a human eye. And it no. was just agony, agony. Well, you didn't show it on screen. I couldn't see that you were uh, yeah. That's a You couldn't see underneath, underneath. I was just crying <laughs> <laughs> on the outside. I looked like I would kick your ass. <laughs>
And one of the best films I've seen in probably the last three years, which again was a Marmite film. People said they loved it. People said they hated it. But I loved Mandy. I thought it was an yeah. absolutely awesome film. I think Nicolas yeah. Cage is hit and miss. Sometimes you watch a Nicolas Cage film and you cringe and think, oh, he's obviously got a bill to pay this week. But to watch him in Mandy, I was like, this is the Nicolas Cage that I used to love. This is the Nicolas Cage I want all the time. And what was it like to work on that movie and again see the success because it shouldn't do as well as it did and it became this kind of cult classic overnight even though it's so recent. yeah yeah i mean literally overnight right that's exactly yeah. how that's exactly what i felt um oh, it was a great that was a great experience but again it was panis um uh, cosmetos i'm gonna pronounce the last name well but panis who um you know who is, is such a visionary director yeah and uh you kind of knew when you were, I only on that for one night. It was, it was a weird experience. I auditioned for that. It was, um, uh, I'd been asked to read for a couple of roles, uh, the chemist. And then this other one, which is kind of interesting. It was the part that, um, Ned Dennehy plays, which is the yeah. sidekick to Fatty. And I read it. I was like, I couldn't work anything out with that character. But of course he would make a lot more money that act, whoever played that part. Cause you were in the film quite a bit. Whereas the chemist, was a yeah. part I knew right away. Like I could, I thought this part, I went in the audition, whipped my shirt off, have all tattoos on my back. So I just did this bizarre improv around the whole thing. I got a call like an hour later, I think from my agent saying, oh, Panos wants you to be, I guess Panos is a Rob Zombie fan. So he also seen me yeah. in that as well. And, um, and I just thought it was great, go do that. So it was amazing to go there and just did this you know, one night, but you could see with Panos then even, and I'd spoken to him before as well, but he's this, just he's this big burly guy that laughs all the time. He's a, such a huge personality, but really like a mind that is in in another realm. Yeah. <laughs> he just knew you knew this guy is going to make something really interesting. And he, of course, the result was when I first saw it, I was like, oh my god, it's just mind blowing. It makes you feel like you're on acid. I haven't done. Yeah any kind of psychedelic or any drugs in 30 years. And I felt, geez, I felt right back to where I was. And it was just crazy trip. Yeah. And Nicholas Cage, he was incredible that night. It was just the two of us. And, you know, he doesn't speak the whole time that I am my scene. And, you know, you, uh, mostly an actor like Nicholas Cage, you figure out oh, they're just, they won't even sit there. They won't stand there. They'll just put in some kid, you know, to be there while the camera's on you. And the entire time, not only did uh, Nick Cage stay the whole time, off his camera for me, but he actually stayed completely focused and in character the whole time. I doing all this monologue talk that's at him. I mean, that's you know, he, 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 so you can't. I can't say about. I mean, nobody can say a bad thing to me about Nick Cage because that that's total professionalism. No, that's really awesome. pretty pretty mind blown. But that was fun. That's a fun film. Anyone who hasn't seen it, you definitely got to check oh, it out. It's incredible. Yeah, and at the moment you're promoting your latest film, The Dare. For this role, obviously, you've got a lot more on screen time. I'm sure you weren't there just for one night. You know, this is a big role no. for yourself. And, uh, you know, did it feel a challenge to, to kind of step it up a lot to be in this film in the fact that you're pretty much the main character throughout? No, not really. I'd done a previous... I, no, I mean, I feel like, you know, I do... I, you know, Rob's films, I, you know, yeah. I'm doing a lot. And also in... Um, yeah, I've done you know, here and there. And then I did actually play the lead in a film uh, called Perfect Skin which is a small British indie, which again, you know, people should really check that film out. I put a little plug in for that because it's, you can pick it up on, uh, on all the streaming services. Now available on Amazon Prime. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But that's a great little film too. It was a lot of fun. 
But with this one, I felt what really I got. I mean, what I loved about this was it was just going to mostly be me and this young lad, Mitchell Norman. And, um, you know, we had this bizarre father-son relationship, if you could call it that. was a warped father-son relationship, to say the least. Yeah. Um, And it was exploring that that was just going to, I thought, would be incredibly fun to do and and interesting and and pretty dark and pretty scary place because I have called three boys and just exploring this sort of weird dynamics with why this guy is behaving like that um, and what's going on here uh, was was fun to do. So I didn't feel, there was no, I didn't feel daunted at all by it. I just was mostly just thrilled by the chance to explore kind of father-son warped dynamics in um, what was going on. Uh, I don't want to give much away, but there's a reason why my character is not particularly the best father in the world to poor Mitchell. Yeah, I don't want to cut <laughs> spoilers. But let's just say, let's just say he isn't going to win father of the year. No. But, you know, he's had some damage. So bless him. He's and preparing for that. That guy has issues. Yeah, and preparing for that film, obviously with the script and obviously the, it's really hard because I don't want to spoil it because I want people to go and check this film out and it's it's good to go into this film with not knowing anything, but yeah. how did you mentally prepare for this? How did you get yourself in that mindset when it is quite a warped kind of story? I mean, I don't find it hard to go into that mindset anymore, which is so weird, isn't it? But I think at some point I just found that, you know, I'm playing all these dark people in this very dark world and... Yeah. Um, you know, and I, I just find that I'm just not afraid anymore to really go there. And this one was tough because, you know, it is tough when you have three kids. You know, I, mm-hmm. I have to, you know, you know, I had two boys at that time, and um, you're exploring kind of abuse and abuse and and and, but I so it is. It's I don't find it hard to go there. It can be pretty taxing by the time you, you you're done. So by the time we we're done with that whole shoot, you know, it was pretty. I, I didn't want to go back there for any any anytime soon but um and then of course you know without giving it all away there's a whole another story going on inside the film that yeah. i didn't have my involvement with really because it's you know for reasons that make sense when you've seen it but and that stuff you know is just that's when it gets really twisted and um so you know for those guys I and mean, i i mean i've not done a film that's as twisted as that i don't no. think i mean i've done some um I, that I can imagine is, really, you know, it's really tough. And for me, if it was just that, and I was involved, I'm not a big fan of just that. What I love about this film is it takes that kind of, which I sort of like, you know, those films like Hostel and stuff. Yeah. So you can explain to people that, you know, those very kind of a lot of torture, a lot of things that are pretty unpleasant. If it was just that kind of stuff in this film, I would say, you know, I probably wouldn't have done it. But what I love about this film is it makes it much more complex, much more about, you know, issues we have as children really um you know things that happen to us in childhood and it really explores kind of the characters a lot more and i thought that was in my character of course has a lot more to do with that so that's what really really made me want to do it a lot of fans of the mark and me podcast are usually quite uh, a young crowd that are kind of wanting to study film or get into acting or they're going to film school and a question I ask everyone that comes on the show, even if they're an editor, cinematographer, producer, director, or actor, is what advice do you give to those people that are trying to make a name for themselves in a business which is so hard to kind of get recognised? Um, when you look at the film industry right now, I know forgetting lockdown and COVID and everything, but it's such a tough world to try and get into to stand out above anyone else uh, with so many people 
studying acting or going to film school but what advice or what have you done that's kind of got you to where you are now yeah that's a good question um you know my son's the same because uh, both of them my mom, one's a musician he's 18 and the other one now uh, he's a filmmaker he's 21 in university and and um you know, I often think about them and it, and it and it feels tough it feels now especially because you know it's easy to see what everyone else is doing back when i started out you felt a bit isolated. You could see what your mates were up to, but you couldn't see everybody else on Instagram. Oh, he's done this. I know. So I know, you know, it feels harder for, you know, for people who are a lot younger than me who are starting. I mean, honestly, my, my advice always remains pretty much the same. And that is, I think it's two things that really helped me the most. Um, and I think especially when I, when I started, but first one, and no one ever, everybody thinks I'm going to give some magic bullet, but I have to say the first one is, is to meditate or try and find something like meditation um, to really give you a much more, to just bring you to a stiller place. Uh, I mean, I meditate, I've meditated for a long, long time, um, very, very regularly. And I do yoga, I do a lot, but that's, you. I think you need that as an artist. And, I, and a lot of the artists that I, I really have a lot of respect for, I'm never surprised when you know, I read an interview and they say, I meditate. Um, you know, I'm a huge Nick Cave fan, and I heard it, read something recently where he talks about how he does it. You know, I, I think it's crucial for a lot of reasons, and I won't waste the whole podcast talking about it, but I would say definitely explore that if you can. I think it helps you in many more ways than you can imagine. The other one is, especially if you're starting out and, you know, you've been over going for a few years or something, is always just keep trying to learn. I think one of the things I noticed about when I left drama school is that a lot of people sort of left drama school and thought, okay, now I'm an actor and, yeah. and I'm going to, I'm and give me a job. And they just went and they went to auditions and, you know, and some of them, you know, the better looking ones or the, you know, the ones that had the right kind of voice and that, you know, they might've worked for a bit and then it stopped. And, then, and you know, the, the, the few of us that are still in the business um, 30 years later are ones who, when they came out, a lot of us didn't get jobs necessarily at the beginning either, but we just kept, um, we kept learning. We kept going. You know, I, I you know, I, we were talking earlier before um, that we started the podcast. But you know, like uh, good friends with Eddie Mars and, and our like I mentioned earlier. But um, you know, two of us were doing plays all the time. You know, on, in little pubs. You know, and just and just constantly trying to learn. We I would take classes. He would too. We took classes with you know a particular teacher that we liked, a Russian man. Taught. You know, this was after we'd done our degree and all. You know, we kept doing it. Even in my 30s, I would sometimes do a class or I would do something, always trying to learn and get better. And I think that that's, I think it's a really, really important never to feel like, oh, now I know it. You know, it's yeah. always just learn. And do shit for free, you know, and do, and do school, student films or make films. Or just keep, and I say to my boys, 21, just make stuff, man. Just make stuff. Just make it shit. Fuck it. Throw it away. Make stuff. Yeah. Make stuff. Make stuff. Keep going. Um, yeah. So I think those are the, you know, those are the two things that really, really help, 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 still help me, you know, still help me keep going. I appreciate your time today. Thanks, man. That was good. Yeah. Honestly, I really enjoyed it. So there it is. There's my interview with me and Richard Brake. What a great guy. I love the amount of different roles he's been in, the range of characters he's played, 
and he's just awesome. He's such a great guy, and I think I find myself saying this most weeks on the podcast. I felt I could have talked to him for easily a couple more hours. Sometimes when you're limited, it's frustrating, but I felt we got a lot out of the time we were given. So a massive thanks to Richard for coming on the show. And again, if you haven't at this point, check out his new film, The Dare. It's doing really well. I've been lucky enough to see a screener of it, and it's awesome. He's so, so good, and I can't wait to see where he's going to go next. In true typical Mark and Me fashion, I like to plug my social media. If you go on to markandme.com, on there there's my Facebook, my Twitter and my Instagram. Please let me know what you think of the episodes. I've seen a lot of new people signing up recently. There's loads of competitions happening to win some amazing prizes. And you can also support me on my Patreon page. You can go on there, there's a link on Mark and Me and all my social medias to get on there and support the podcast from as little as a pound a month. For that at the moment you're getting about six or seven episodes an opportunity to win some absolutely incredible prizes. Honestly, some of these prizes are unreal and you can't buy them. I've had artist-proof copies of most recent Matt Ferguson prints, Sam Gilby. It's been insane and they're going to keep on coming. So if you get on there and support me, all the money goes back into the podcast. I don't make any money myself and it means I can host the podcast on all these different platforms, travel the country and do more and more interviews, which means more and more episodes for you guys out there. It's very busy as always. I hope you're all staying safe out there. And what I'll do, I'll come back in a few days with a brand new episode for you all. So until then, take care and I'll speak to you soon.
Jesus. 